Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by StarCast on Fight. If you haven't already, check out fight.tv forward slash StarCast. You can catch the roast of Bruce Pritchard, which is getting five-star ratings everywhere you look. And don't forget the Monday Night War debate between Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff, plus other fun, silly nonsense like what happened when with Tony Schiavone, with special guests Medusa, the Barbarian, Tommy Young, and unfortunately, Scott Steiner. We've also got the death of WCW panel and many more shows starting at just $4.99 for under five bucks. Grab one of these shows right now while you still can at fight.tv forward slash starcast. That's F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash starcast. And remember, there's two R's in starcast, but you can get several shows for under five bucks. Check it out right now. Fight.tv forward slash starcast. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Birds. Well, you know, that's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, yeah, but there's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck you, Bruce. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, you know what, man? Knock on wood. I'm thinking about everybody in the Carolinas, and I'm hoping that uh, all of our friends there are safe and sound and wouldn't wish that on anybody. So again, to all those, I just want to say, hey, we're thinking about you, and I hope you're safe, high and dry. Absolutely. You know, we've got a lot of friends who are over there. In that part of the country, of course, uh, my buddy, Dick Bourne and Brian Rogers and Jay-Z and who could forget our great friend, Mr. Bruce Mitchell, the Greensboro Jackoff himself. Hopefully he's listening to this safe and sound. Well, not everybody, but I, yeah, no, I no, I truly do. Even Bruce Mitchell. I hope everybody is safe and sound again, man. We, we went through it with Harvey last year about this time. And I thought that this year we were going to get through without some big badass major storm coming through and mother nature said, nah, fuck you. We're going to go ahead and make my presence known. Anyway, women do that sometimes. Last week was a lot of fun, man. We did a Q and a episode, but, uh, you stepped on your ass a little bit and, uh, the Russo apologists came out with their pitchforks this week. He mistakenly said there were no singles matches on WrestleMania 2000 because Vince Russo booked it when actually he left in 19. That's not what I said. That's okay. not what I said. I, you asked me the question. And I said, bro, come on, bro. 
and I didn't actually come out and say Vince Russo. And I was in my mind thinking, Russo wasn't even there in 2000. <laughs> I figured I'd go ahead and dump the heat on him anyway, because it's an easy thing to do. I was just going to dump the heat over there and say, bro. Um, and boy, they did. They came out of the woodwork. And, and you're right. Yeah, Vince Russo wasn't there. And it was just sheer people putting too many matches and getting everybody on WrestleMania. Speaking of dumping the heat, we're going to be dumping a bunch this weekend in San Antonio, Texas at the Aztec theater. Tickets are going fast. BrucePritchard.com is where you can pick them up. And Bruce, you were telling me, uh, may or may not have a pretty big guest on this one, huh? <laughs> well, weather permitting. Absolutely. Here's the deal, man. I'm driving in, so I'm definitely going to make it come hell or high water. We've got a system developing out in the Gulf and, and people coming from all over the country just to see this. So I'm real excited about San Antonio. San Antonio is almost like a home away from home for me and got a lot of history going back into the early 80s and actually got going back into the late 70s really for me and uh looking forward to it man at the aztec theater and brucepritchard.com is a place to get tickets because there's nothing like being there live to experience us and have a good time so no matter what happens it's going to be a great show I promise you looking forward to that and of course we're coming to Kowloon's in boston in october you can check out tickets for that at brucepritchard.com you're gonna have to call it in old school uh, but they're gonna take great care of you especially if you've never been to Kowloon's, you're in for a treat there don't forget the regent theater in la in november and who could forget wrestle k the following weekend our first trip into north kakalaki but England, Scotland, Ireland, we're all coming your way in December. Grab your tickets right now. BrucePritchard.com. And uh, speaking of grabbing, what you should be grabbing is a little ageless male max because they've got a patent pending formula with an ingredient that's going to help you boost your total testosterone. And we're talking about an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym and in the bedroom. So, you know what you can do? You can actually take your manhood to the max and you can try your first 30-day bottle absolutely free. All you got to do, pay shipping and handling. And we're going to give you not 10, not 15, not 20, but a full 30-day supply absolutely free. All you have to do is text the word SLAM to 797979. It's finally a formula that boosts your total testosterone and if your results with ageless male max are too intense just decrease the use for your free bottle that's right free text slam to 797979 that's s l a m to 797979 message and data rates may apply well man we're talking about a pretty deep subject uh yesterday was a big anniversary. It was the anniversary of the first SmackDown after 9-11. And we put this on a poll a lot in the very early days of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And for whatever reason, maybe people just didn't think the timing was good or they just didn't want to hear the story and sort of have to dig up some of these weird memories. But we felt it was time. So we're going to cover it. It's the SmackDown from September 13th. 2001 of course that's two days removed from perhaps the darkest day in the history of the united states of course we all remember the terrorist attack that happened in the world trade center in new york uh, and then of course there were 
other incidents in the Pentagon and even one in Pennsylvania, nearly 3000 folks here were killed. So as all of that's going on on a Tuesday, you guys are planning a show for SmackDown in Houston, Texas, your hometown, man, what a weird time to go back and think about where were you when you first heard about the attacks? Were you in the office? Were you with the guys? What were people thinking? Well, um, full disclosure here. I, I, I tried to go back and watch the show and I couldn't, um, this is going to be a tough one for me because there were just so many emotions running, running through my head and just going back and reliving that time. We were in Houston. We had had a show the night before Monday night raw came from San Antonio, Texas, and we had come up to Houston. We were staying at uh, the Hilton out on the Southwest freeway, which was a departure from where we, where we normally stayed. And we were at the, the summit, the old summit. It was a compact center at that time. Um, but it was business as usual on a Tuesday morning, get up and head to Vince McMahon's room and go over the show to start rewriting and taking a look at the show for that night and, you know, work as usual. And I was watching, uh, CBS, not CBS, NBC, uh, the today show in my room in Houston, the NBC feed for the today show is basically an, an hour delayed. And I noticed that they had gone live and, and that there was a, a live graphic on the screen. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? I just got out of the shower and I'm watching this. And they talked about a plane, a and they actually said that they thought it was a commuter plane that had run into the world trade center. I thought, damn, that's bizarre and, uh, not good. But they're, they're talking about it, and they've got live coverage of it. And Vince's room was across the hall and probably three doors down. So I was ready, and it was probably about 15 minutes before we were all getting ready to meet. And I went down to his room, and he had a suite. And one thing you never do for these meetings and, and in the hotel, you never have the TV on. You know, that just – Vince didn't want any noise, any distractions or anything. And I remember going in. The door was open. I turned the TV on and Vince came out and says, what are you watching? And I said, that's New York city. And he says, oh yeah, what's going on? I said, yeah, was, a plane flew into the world trade center. Said, Damn. That, how the, what the hell? Some, you know, uh, some small plane, some guy learning to fly. We thought nobody really knew. And Vince and I are standing there in his room watching this as all of a sudden you're, you're watching that live shot and a second plane flies into the other tower. I remember looking at each other going, holy shit. And the first thing out of our mouths was we're being attacked. It just was so surreal. So holy shit, that doesn't happen, you know? And, and you're thinking, um, you seen, you, you, you seen the movies in my head. This is how fucked up I am. In my head, there was a movie, uh, Die Hard, one of those Die Hard movies at the airport where the guy changed the readings on planes so that people thought they were like 500 feet 
higher than they actually were. So they would crash into the runways. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, someone has gotten into the towers and is sending these planes in, into the World Trade Center. What the hell is going on? Um, but all of a sudden, you, you just got this um, sick feeling in, in our gut that was, holy shit, th this is not good. And, and still, even at that point, we didn't know that they were um, major airliners, big big planes. We had no idea. I don't think anybody did at that point. You know, I'm a redneck from Alabama, so I never had. Had you been to the World Trade Center before? Would you have had a reason to have been there for any meetings with Vince or anything else? No, I, I had been to them before when I first went to New York, you know, uh, Everybody goes to the World Trade Center. Everybody goes to the Empire State Building. They they were monuments to New York City. So, you know, I had been in them before, but it was just such a staple of that New York City skyline. And it was it was something that you could never really conceive. I don't think that, especially at this point, and everybody starts showing up for the meeting and we're watching this damn thing. And, and you've got Brian Gewertz who lived in New York, right? You got, um, Paul Heyman who Paul didn't live in New York city, but Paul's from New York and, and most everybody up there, they, our offices are, our center is, Connecticut, it's the Northeast, and, and this is happening 40 minutes from our home. And no one knows what the hell's going on. So uh, immediately everybody's on their phone, and I'm, I'm calling home. My, my wife and kids are at home, and I'm calling to make sure that they're okay and, and try to, you know, reassure them from thousands of miles away that, hey, everything's going to be okay. Just stay close and, and um, keep me informed. And then you start thinking about, you know, who do you know there? And this, this is before all the crazy shit even. <laughs> As if two planes crashing into the New York Trade Center isn't crazy shit. Um, it was all really just so surreal. And, and it started playing out almost in slow motion. So you, you add to that for me and I, I look at it and that's why I say this is going to be a tough one for me from a very emotional and personal standpoint. Um, that day on September 11th, 2001, I was, we were in Houston and my friend Jim McInvale from gallery furniture had arranged with my wife had recently been diagnosed with cancer and every hospital we had gone to in the Northeast and it basically told us she had four years to live maximum. This is it. And Max has come on down to MD Anderson in Houston. And he had arranged for me to meet with the president of the hospital that day. I called him and I said, Mac, I said, all this stuff going on. And Mac didn't even know wow. about what was going on in New York at that time. And he says, hold on. And he went, turned on or went, not turned on, but went, looked at the TVs in his stores. And he says, Hey, he says, we're still going. MD Anderson is the hospital. They got a lot of sick people there. They're not closing for anybody. 
So I'm going to meet you there. You need to take care of your family. So in the middle of all this, I've got a meeting with the folks at MD Anderson for, to, to bring in my wife's, uh, records and have them look at her file and so on and so forth. Um, and we're, we're all watching at this point, we're just sitting around watching the news and an antidote. Okay. This is, you know, I guess a lighthearted kind of moment that, that takes place in all this chaos and tragedy. Paul Heyman is on the phone and Paul's, uh, on the phone with his dad and Paul is giving us updates as you know, now we're watching the news, but Paul would, Paul would say, um, there's another plane that, that, uh, is heading towards the Pentagon or there's, you know, they've attacked the Pentagon now and 20, 30 seconds later on the TV, the report would be, it appears that the Pentagon has had a plane crash into it. So Paul was ahead 20, 30 seconds of whoever he's talking to his dad on the other end of the phone. And basically New York was getting those live, live updates a lot sooner than we were. We were getting delayed a little bit on the network delay. And we jokingly said, well, Paul's, Paul's dad is talking to the president and getting all these updates directly because he's by God, Mr. Heyman. And so if there was any levity in, in all of that tragedy, it was Paul giving us Heyman like updates throughout this whole thing. And, and it was, is everything kind of developed? You, you kept thinking, okay, they've flown two planes in, into New York city. They've flown a plane into the Pentagon. Um, what's next? You know, what else is going to happen? And you start speculating and you start thinking, well, what the hell? Where, where were you? What, what were you doing when all this was happening? Well, that doesn't really matter. You know, we're talking about the WWE experience, but, um, I do want to know, like, you know, you guys, you know, obviously everybody's here for the meeting and they're all sort of scrambling, making calls in that moment. Is Vince still trying to be the leader and trying to not really sell it? Or is everybody just sort of like, <gasps> and nobody really knows what to do at that point. Nobody knows what the hell, what to do at that point. Everyone was checking on their own, you know, their relatives, their, their people in, in the vicinity. And, you know, Vince was doing the same thing. Vince was making sure that, that Linda's safe and, and he's making sure that, you know, anybody that they've got in New York, that everybody's safe and, um, you know, get everyone together and we, and we need to figure out what the hell is going on, but you don't, nobody knew what was going on. It took, you know, it took whatever, an hour or so before we realized, holy shit, all, all of these different things are taking place and it's, it's happening live before your very eyes and you're witnessing it. And they're, they're showing the world trade centers and they're, they're talking about there's things being thrown out. You can see debris falling from the world trade centers. And then all of a sudden they realize that that was people jumping. Um, 
And and then when when the towers came crumbling down, it, it's it takes your breath away. And the last thing on anybody's mind is, well, hey, we got a show tonight. What are we going to do? But at the same time, you've you've got a major event in a major metropolis that's taking place that night. So you you've got to you got to put on your uh, professional hat, and you you've got decisions to to be made. So I remember uh, because I had the relationship with Mike McGee and Jeff Gaines over at the Compact Center calling them and, and they're saying, Hey, we're assessing the situation, but, um, the, the city is, is under an emergency, whatever, uh, I forget how they worded it, but emergency protocol or whatever the hell it was. He goes, I, I we're probably not having a show tonight, guys. We, we are going to secure the building and we're getting everybody out of here. It's like, okay. Um, there were guys that were in transit from San Antonio and just different people that maybe they didn't, see, you know, weren't watching the news. They were, they were driving and listening to music or what have you that are probably going to be showing up during the day. And they said, we'll have security here to inform them, but you guys need to get a hold of people. Um, it was, it was crazy. And, and in the middle of it, I've, I've got to go to the hospital with, with mattress Mac to, to deal with the personal situation. So I stayed as, as long as I could. I remember watching the, the buildings crumble and thinking, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you think, is, is this the end of the world? Is this, <laughs> is this, is this the end? You don't know. And I had to go, man, I had to go to the hospital basically. And I took a taxi over to the hospital. When you leave the room, are you like hugging everybody? I mean, this is a time when America really came together and people weren't really sure what was next. And it does feel like everybody sort of paused for a minute. I remember, I remember Vince, um, I remember Vince being very, go take care of, you know, to him, it was take care of your family. You need to go and, and do this and, and take care of this. You know, we're, we're going to make it through this. Uh, I do remember hugging Vince. I remember, uh, being in Vince's bedroom on the phone, uh, apart from the, apart from the suite, he came in and, and was like, you need to go and take care of what you need to take care of. And, uh, yeah, it, it was. It was scary, but you had, you know, there, there's a part of you that has to move forward and, and continue to, to do whatever it is you, you can do to, to be normal in, in whatever normal is at that time. Um, people just didn't, people just didn't know. And that was the scariest thing about it all. A lot of speculation, and, and I, I think that for the news media, they were careful, you know, as to what the hell they said. And, and so it just was, it was an unknown. All we knew is, man, planes were being crashed into 
into spots in, in, in America, which had never been happened before. So I guess we should give everybody an update. Um, your wife that you're talking about was told, you know, she had four years left to live. She's still with us today, all these yes. years later. So it was good to have the hookup for master smack. Was it not? Man, it, it was, uh, I'll never forget going in and Mac introduced me to the, to the president of MD Anderson there at the hospital. And I thanked him and thought that, okay, now I'm going to meet with whoever I'm going to meet. And Jim McInvale is an extraordinary human being. He said, uh, I thanked him and he, he goes, uh, the president thanked him and it says, Hey Jim, I'll call you. He goes, well, I'm not going anywhere. My friend's wife is sick. I'm going to stay here as long as it takes until you guys figure out what we're going to do to make a right again. All this shit's going down. He's got his businesses to run and he's got everything going on, on, on his end. And he stayed with me at that hospital until they got the head of the lymphoma clinic to look at my wife's films and look at everything, call me and I'll never forget his, his words to me. He says, you know, we can't, we can't remove it. There's too much of it. Um, we, you know, it's, it's, it's going to grow forever. He goes, but we could sure as hell slow it down and your wife will have a normal life and, and, and allow us to treat that. And, and we're going to slow it down enough that she's going to be fine. So through all this chaos, those were, that was the stuff that just kind of hit me the hardest was them telling me, nah, man, we're going to, we can slow this shit down and she's going to be fine. And all these years later, 17 years later, she's, she's fine. And, and knock on wood, you know, right now she's, she's in remission and good. So it's, it's a, you know, I, I always flash back to that moment in time and, and sitting on the balcony of, of this guy's office with a phone and, and talking to the head of lymphoma. So, and in the meantime, you're wondering what's going on in the world. You know, will it matter? Yeah. You know, we, uh, we have an ad sales team here that does a tremendous job for us and they sold ads for us that we're contractually obligated to do today. And it does feel a little weird that we're going to squeeze them into a nine 11 show. Uh, but we have to. And if you have to look any further than bluechew.com, then you have not been looking in the right direction. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, Bruce Pritchard is now too. Thanks to blue chew. He's increased his performance and got that extra confidence in bed and bluechew.com has now brought you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So, you know, they work and since they're chewable. They work up to twice as fast as a pill. So now Bruce is ready anytime, day or night. And Bruce is really pleased to know that this was all prescribed online and it's shipped straight to his door in a discreet package. No more doctor's visits in person. No more waiting in the pharmacy. Best of all, no more awkwardness. It's made right here in the USA and shipped direct. So it's much cheaper than a pharmacy. And yeah. Bruce, you're giving away the farm over there. Are you not? Well, yeah, because I, I have you to thank for it because you told me about how great it was working for you and how, you know, you just weren't up to it like you used to be and that blue chew was the answer. And again, an insider tip when you can chew it up and it gets in your system a little faster then you're it, when it's ready to go, you're ready to go. If you know what I mean? And if you visit blue here's the deal. We're going to get you your first shipment absolutely free. And all you got to do is use our special promo code, WRESTLE. That's 
W-R-E-S-T-L-E. And just pay $5 for shipping. And again, that's bluechew.com. B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Use our promo code WRESTLE. And you get to try it absolutely free because Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. Let's talk about the choice you guys had to make that day because you had to decide, are we going to still try to do the show tonight? And if not, what are we airing instead? What's the backup plan? You know, you told us that you're going to the hospital, but when you come back, have some of those decisions been made? Talk me through the process. Well, prior to, to me leaving and my, my meeting was roughly around noon. So, but before we, we, before I left, uh, we knew the build, the building was not going to run any events that night. They had already made the decision. They were closing the bill. We didn't have a choice. It, it wasn't, we weren't a part of that decision-making. That was a part, that was a decision that was made by the mayor and by the governor of Texas, by the mayor of Houston that, you know, no large public assemblies were going to take place. And I feel like some people hear that and they don't really process what we're saying, but at the time people were scared to do anything. Everyone thought, oh, they're going to go here next. They're going to go there next. So people were sort of avoiding the idea of let's get a bunch of people together, which was clearly the intent in landing a plane or crashing a plane rather in the world trade center. Let's keep people apart separate let's not get them together and and create a a target rich environment and people were really nervous about that so you guys get the heads up that the building is gonna shut it down right and we you know we were obviously behind that as well because it was the right thing to do we we weren't even wondering what we were going to do the show that we were going to record that tuesday night was going to air on thursday so the, the thought is, Hey, if, if anything, we can put together a best of, we can do a replay, you know, we have time to make that decision. And in the meantime, we need to let everyone know from the crew to the talent, everyone involved in the live event, that this is not going to be taking place tonight, that we have, uh, accommodations, we have hotel rooms and everything for you at this hotel that we will take care of and for everybody to get to that hotel, um, which was the, that Hilton there on 59 and we'll ride this thing out and we'll be in constant contact. When we know something, you'll know something. It was up to JR and talent relations to handle the talent. And we were taking things on a, almost a minute by minute, hour by hour, just as information came in, we were thinking, what the hell are we going to do? Um, in, in the middle of all of this. So I, I told you mattress Mac, Jim McInvale, uh, dear friend. And he had helped me out with my wife, but, but Mac was also the, the pseudo mayor of Houston, Texas, man. If you, if you really wanted to get something done in Houston, mattress Mac was your guy and, and Mac could get anything done. So Mac had offered his services and said, how can I help you? Um, and I said, I don't know. He says, well, I, I've got, um, 
some folks that work with me and, and, and we can help you out. And he had people that were stationed at our hotel to run errands for us. Uh, he had someone in the mayor's office, literally at city hall that could get directly to Lee Brown, the mayor, uh, gentleman was Mike Thornton, who was at the time, the last recipient of the congressional medal of honor. And Mike stayed at city hall because Lee Brown, when he came out of his meeting and his update with the emergency meeting with the governors and, and, and people, uh, my, he would speak to Mike Thornton and we would have an update as far as what was going on in the city and, and what, what the temperature was, if you will. So, um, once he did that, he, he was at our hotel. We had people that were just standing by to do whatever it is that, that needed to be done. And it was a very just, uh, you can hear the word surreal because until you, until you've lived it and been through it, man, it's, it's, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my lifetime. And I hope I never have to experience anything like it again. But we were just thinking, what the hell are we going to do? And the thought of the thought of running and, and doing anything at that point was just insane. We, we, we didn't think of that. We just were hoping everybody was, was going to be okay and, and hope that, uh, you know, we're going to get out of this thing. All right. At, at least as best we can. The show starts, uh, with Vince McMahon in the middle of the ring talking about America I mean, this is really the first time that he's out front like this, being a patriot in this way. And of course we know tribute to the troops would follow. Um, when is the decision made to not do a best of, and instead do a show and then talk us through how the opening with Vince being in the middle of the ring, just him and a microphone addressing WWE fans, how that decision was made. Well, God, first of all, I mean, you got to go back to when we decide that we're even going to have an event and Vince felt that once everything had somewhat settled down and, and we had, I don't know, anybody really had a handle on everything, but once, you know, all air travel suspended, everything suspended, people are in one place and everybody's glued to their TV maybe this is an opportunity to show the strength of America and to show everyone that, Hey, we're not afraid of you. Fuck you. And we're going to have a show and we're going to show you the strength of, of America by, we are going to assemble and we are going to have an event. We're going to live our lives as best we can. Um, during all of this, we're, we're talking to civic leaders. We're talking to the, the building and in the middle of all this crap, I'm talking to the mayor's office representative for the mayor of Houston, Texas. Um, <laughs> got Mike Thornton on the line, who was the congressional medal of honor winner. I believe Mac was on the line and a representative, one of the folks from George H Bush's camp. So one of the people that sets the president's father, the first Bush that was president, uh, sets his schedule and, and what have you now in the time frame of all of this shit is, is the American public. We don't even know where the president is. 
Okay. He, he's in an undisclosed location. Um, no one knows where he is. Uh, we, we know that George H. Bush lives in Houston, Texas, but he has been, he and his family had been taken to a secure location. No one knows where, and all these people were, were all on the phone and, and there's my happy ass on the phone. And I realized that I have someone with a direct connection to the Bush family. And as we are talking about, well, we could possibly go live. And we've, we've been talking with the folks at UPN who they, a lot of their affiliates, some of them couldn't go live, but the majority of them would be able to take a live feed. And how can we make this work? Blah, blah, blah. And we all agree that we can have an event on Thursday. We can go forward. And I said, well, great. That's tremendous. Um, what are the chances of President Bush actually showing up and coming to show his support for the first public assembly in America at the time? And yes, folks, we were before baseball. Um, and I, I will never forget the gasp of how in the middle of all this chaos can you ask for the president to, in the middle of all this shit, come to a wrestling show? And I made myself clear. I said, I'm not talking about George W. I'm act, you know, sitting president. I'm talking about his father. He's, he lives here in Houston. I mean, for him to be there, that would be a huge statement. Um, and I remember afterwards, Vince like, God damn it, pal. How in the middle of all this shit you're at? I said, Vince, hang on. If I didn't ask that, probably when I got off the phone with them, you would have said, damn it, pal. Yeah, those had his people on the phone and you didn't ask if he could be there. So no matter what I did, I would have been wrong. But yes, I, I did ask for uh, for the former president of the United States of America to, to come to the event. They told us that, no, he was unable to do that. And they couldn't tell us where he was and couldn't tell us if he was close or far or anything else. But no, he would not be showing up. And as we looked at, at the whole thing, um, man, I, I don't think we even discussed everybody's role because we didn't get the talent until that day in person. And Vince had made it very clear that anyone who did not want to participate or anyone that especially lived in the New York area was uncomfortable in any way, shape or form, no matter where you lived. If you did not want to perform on that show, then you didn't have to. And we're not asking anybody, this is completely voluntary for you to participate in the show. If you would like to rent a car and go home, you can rent a car and go home. You know, airplanes, uh, commercial airliners were not operating at that time that he, he would make it happen and that no one had to do it. So as we got closer to it, the Vince wanted to address our audience. He wanted to address the American public. And this was really the first big live major event taking place in, in America it was that Thursday night. And Vince felt it important that as the head of the company, that he would deliver that first message. So do you remember anybody saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to sit this one out or I got to go home or was everybody on board? There were, uh, as far as talent, I don't remember any talent 
per se off the top of my head. I remember that there were some crew people. There were uh, there was a writer in particular and some other folks that lived in the New York area that wanted to get home to their family and they rented a car and they drove. Was it, from, Bri- was it Brian or somebody else? No, no, it was not Brian. Um, it was Corey. Uh, I can't remember his, his last name and, and some other folks, but the people that lived in the, in the New York area that wanted to get home but and they rented it, cars and took off. It wasn't one of those, Hey, it's voluntary, but it's really not. It really was voluntary. Hundred percent, it was voluntary, and Vince, there, it was not even a. If somebody said, "Vince, I, I, I feel un- go," I, I, you don't have to, you don't have to explain yourself. He didn't want an explanation. He, he understood, and he understood if people said, "No, I don't, uh, I'm uncomfortable performing, or I don't want to do this, I don't feel safe, or I, I want to leave, I want to be with my family." Go, go, do what you have to do. Obviously, you know, we know there weren't any immediate like follow-ups, but what sort of extra precautions did you guys think you had to make from a show standpoint? Was there extra security at the building and were extra measures taken or talk me through what the building wanted? And I guess, how did you guys even get the green light to go two days later from the building? They shut it down on Tuesday. How'd you convince them to open it up on Thursday? By we didn't, they didn't make that decision until probably midday, uh, mid afternoon on Wednesday when that decision was made that they felt, okay, we can, we can go ahead and have an event. There was going to be, a, there, there was, there was a shitload of extra security. There were a lot of bomb sniffing dogs and every, you know, all the, uh, entrance points had metal detectors and what have you. There was extra security backstage for the crew coming in and anybody that entered the building had to go through, uh, extra security checkpoints. So it was nerve wracking to say the least, but I tell you what, when you got inside the building, you felt pretty damn secure <laughs> if there was any place that, that, um, that you felt secure that, that point it, it was, it was pretty damn secure and, and life was going on as almost like everybody was on vacation almost because people weren't going into work, but yet restaurants were open and, and things were happening, but it was just an uneasiness in the air. And it was, I remember Vince telling us on Wednesday night, get out of here, um, go, just go do something, go and, and try, try and get away from this as best you can. Um, it's, it's reality. We're dealing with it, but try as best you can to just think of something else for a night and did what you could do. Who are you hanging out with during this era? This is after, is Pat gone or is he still around? No, Pat, Pat was gone during this time. It, you know, it was Jerry Briscoe and, and Michael Hayes. And we were just, um, not being funny. Don't need an impression. Not looking to cue you up for a joke. What were Jerry and, and Pat like here? I mean, just sort of set the mood of hanging out with those guys. When you guys go to some random restaurant to just distract yourself. 
I, I don't think that anybody could be distracted because I think during the entire process, people were a thankful and grateful for, um, that they're still here, that their families were okay. And just sad over the loss of life and, and tragedy in our country. So you, you couldn't get away from it. There, there's just, there weren't enough margaritas to drink, um, anywhere to just get away from it, but it was, it was sullen. It, it was sad. And at least being with, with each other, you did the best that you could, to to kind of get through it. I, I was in Houston, so I was home. I remember going to my parents' house and seeing them, um, and seeing some of my friends and, and it was, it just, uh, bizarro land is, is the best, best way to explain it. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you guys actually sit down and talk about what you're going to put together on the show, you know, you've decided that Vince is going to open it up, but right in the middle of this, you guys are trying to tell a story. I mean, I guess we should remind everybody that on September 10th, you guys were in San Antonio and you're right in the middle of the, uh, Alliance angle. So you've got the WWF versus the Alliance of WCW and ECW, and you're sort of smack dab in the middle of that here. Um, chat me up here about when you guys actually sit down and figure out, okay, uh, who do we have and what are we putting on this show that now is happening? We didn't know. We knew that we were not going to go storyline oriented. We knew that we were not going to do a typical show. We wanted to allow talent to say anything that they wanted to say and share with the audience. We waited until that day to find out who was comfortable working, who wanted to work, and if anybody didn't want to work. And then we made matches from there. But we also focused on the message and the message that Talon wanted to get across and, and, and speak from the heart. Nothing was written for them. Nothing was, if they wanted to participate, they could, if they didn't want to participate, they didn't have to. And that was made very clear to everybody. So we just wanted to make it a different type of show and give people a chance to let up a little bit. Don't worry about storyline. Don't get into anything. Uh, storyline wise, let's just entertain them with some good matches as best we can and let them know that the WWF family was firmly behind the United States of America. All right, Bruce, we got to take a time out here to tell everybody about SaveWithBruce.com. If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Check out SaveWithBruce.com right now. And I'm talking to you if you're in a 30 year loan or if you've got credit card debt or a second mortgage. Or maybe worst of all, if you're still throwing your money away on rent, what are you doing? Go to savewithbruce.com right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. We're going to run the numbers for you, see if we can't save you some money. And if we can't, we won't waste your time. And when you go to savewithbruce.com, you're checking out me, Conrad Thompson, a first family mortgageer, who would be happy to help you find a way to save some cash. We make it fast and easy. And it just takes a couple of quick clicks right now at savewithbruce.com. If you have some things around the house you'd like to upgrade, maybe it's time for some new granite countertops or a new tile shower. Maybe we even need a pool in the backyard. We can help you do all of that or get out of that cramped apartment and get some more space in a new house. Maybe some credit card debt is weighing you down. We can get rid of all of it. 
just like that gets you a better rate gets you a greater tax deduction and most importantly gets you out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments if we can't save you money we won't waste your time check it out right now savewithbruce.com nmls number 65084 equal housing lender so let's talk a little bit about how you let the crowd know that the show was happening of course these guys had tickets in their hand when they woke up on tuesday morning we know what happened that morning in new york how are they notified because obviously the internet exists but it's not like everybody had it in their pocket 24 7 like they do now how did you guys get the word out a that the show was canceled tuesday or what wording you used and then wednesday when you find out you are doing it and you're doing it thursday how do you communicate that news media it was only it was the only way to do it obviously we had wwf.com where people could go but local media local media informed everybody as to what was open what wasn't open we were the major event in town uh, and we were the only ones running on thursday night for sure so news media made a big deal out of that and they were able to notify people as to what was going on and that if you had tickets or if you wanted a refund we, we were very accommodating on that as well. They couldn't make it or they felt like they didn't want to be there. But as soon as we announced that we were going to go live, um, you know, the, the mad rush, it was already sold out ahead of time, but there was even more of a rush of people wanting to be there and, and wanting to be live and wanting to be a part of it. And we, we build it is, is a celebration of America. So people wanted to be there and they wanted to come down and see some wrestling. Talk about the particular travel challenges that existed here. You mentioned a minute ago that air travel was ground, you know, I mean, just no flights at all. So you've got to rent cars and most of the crew is going to drive to Houston from San Antonio. So a lot of folks woke up in Houston, uh, who do you remember who didn't? And those who did, I assume they sort of just had to hang out a couple of days in Houston. Yeah. I mean, those, most everybody was there, uh, from Monday night to Tuesday night. So we didn't have the split crews at that time. So guys were in the area. There was nowhere that they could go there. They could drive somewhere if they wanted to drive. And some of them did. I forget who the hell it was. Somebody bought a car somewhere along the lines. I forget who the hell it was, but they actually went to a dealership, purchased a car, and drove home just to get out of town because they couldn't get a rental car to get out of town and, and do a drop charge or anything like that. God, I wish I could remember who the hell it was. And it was it was something that another friend of mine had done. He was stuck in New Mexico, and so he just bought a truck and drove home. So that was just weird stories of, of stuff like that happening. And the guys from the crew and, and Corey who rented cars and, and all, uh, well, I'll wait till the, till the end of going home, but there, there was a funny story. No, go ahead. Okay. So it took from Houston to New York. That's a long drive. And everything is grounded. There are no commercial flights going out at all. When the ban was lifted so that 
we could fly again. We had the corporate plane in Houston. Okay. But private charters were not allowed in the air. Commercial airlines were not allowed in the air. The only, they lifted the ban on Saturday, I believe it was Saturday or Sunday. Um, they lifted the ban. And if you chartered through a commercial airline, they were allowing those flights to take off. We had to charter a plane through Delta airlines to get out. And we were the first flight out of Houston to fly home. We had to fly and you could only, the smaller airports were all closed. You had to fly into a, a major airport. We had to fly into Hartford on this occasion to get in. But Vince got as many of us as we could on that flight. And he said, you know, the, the private plane will stay here. And as soon as the ban is lifted, we'll load that up with as many people as we can. And obviously travels on standby. So we get, we get, we get, we land in Hartford and and pretty sure it was Sunday. We're just thankful to be home, uh, get a hug, our families and, and get to see them and what have you. We're driving in a van from the airport back to the office to get our cars and so on and so forth. And we could tell this story and laugh about it now. It wasn't as funny then, but, um, Pete, Pete Doyle, I think that was his name. Uh, he's going to bust my balls cause he follows me on Facebook and I forgot his name last time. He calls the guys, the, the young man, Corey, who was one of the writers who's still in a car. They still haven't made it to New York. They've been driving since Thursday to get back and see their family. And then Pete was an Irishman. He's like, Hey, Corey, Hey, how you doing? Hey, I just wanted to let you know that, uh, yeah, we stayed and waited it out. Now we're home. I'm going to be home with my wife. Yeah. How's your wife doing? And Corey had a brand new baby. And he just, he just wanted to get home, man. He just wanted to get home and hug his, hug his baby and hug his wife and be home. And Pete's like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know, I'm going to be in, I'm going to be with my wife and my kids and ha ha. And you're not going to. And he ends it. He goes, yeah, pretty good rib. I said, no, that's not a good fucking rib, man. That's horrible. I said, this poor fucking guy is, is in a car. He's been in a car for several days. There's five of them in one car. That's not funny. That's not a rib. You want to know how to rib? I'm going to show you how to rib. So I pick up the phone and I call the hotel and I ask for Jonathan Coachman's room. Coach answers the phone because I knew we had heard that coach and I think Michael Cole and several others were planning a, a big party that night at a gentleman's establishment right across the street from the hotel. And they were all going to dinner and they were all getting together to go to the Colorado club, uh, right after that night and everybody's going to have a good time and so on and so forth. And everybody's getting together and coach had this all arranged and he's so happy. And I call him, Hey coach, how you doing? He goes, ah, Hey man, you know, we're doing what we can. He's downplaying it to me. I said, well, I said, Hey, um, the, the jet is cleared to leave Houston. It's leaving in one hour. And Vince wants you to get 12 people together and you guys need to be a millionaire at hobby airport in one hour. Um, and we, we have a very small window for you guys to get the hell out of there. So, 
Uh, I'll let you decide who it is, but obviously prioritize your list. Give me a call back and let me know who you've got on the list and get everybody together down in the lobby. We've got a car that's going to be there in 15 minutes to get you guys to the airport and get you gone. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, we'll do that. I said, all right, buddy, man, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, and I hang up. And he looks at me, I go, now that's how you fucking rib somebody. And so when Coach called back, I said, like, oh, yeah, hey, man, I'm just fucking with you, Coach. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're not taking off yet. But it was that was a fun rib versus a mean spirit. I'm going to be with my wife, and ha-ha, you're not, and I just let coach panic for 15 minutes and gather everybody together and, and then have to let him know. Nah, Bruce was just fucking with us. Well, at least you found a way to have a good time. I guess we should mention, uh, Linda McMahon sent a press release out. She says after much deliberation and discussions, with local officials in Houston, we've decided that the show should go on. We do this to support the call by president Bush and other political leaders to get Americans back to their everyday routines after this barbaric act of terrorism. And for many Americans, WWF SmackDown on Thursday night is part of their regular routine. This week's WWF SmackDown will depart from our traditional format and will be a special tribute to the spirit of the American people and our democracy, both of which have shown brightly during this terrible tragedy. Did you talk to Linda at all during this? Was she there or was she back in New York? No, Linda was back in New York and, um, you know, I didn't speak to her. Vince did. And, you know, obviously we use that as a way to communicate with our fans and let everybody know the show was going to go on. Can you speak to a lot of people believe that you guys used to refer to raw as raw as war and had that as your logo, but after nine 11, the company makes a call to not refer to it as raw as war anymore. And allegedly you even changed the name of the Armageddon pay-per-view. Do you remember either of those being discussed at all? I don't, but I, I vaguely remember the Raw's war that we, we didn't need to be referring to war in any of our names. So I, I do remember a conscious effort of, of that and just saying, Hey, you know what? We don't, we don't need to go there. Let's talk a little bit about the actual show. Um, you know, lots of, of people, I guess were sort of back and forth about what to expect on this show. And you guys filled it with a lot of sit down interviews. When was the last time you saw any of those? Cause you did mention that you didn't see the show this week. I, man, I tried. And as I went through I had, I had notes of what the show was, and then I, I sat down and tried to watch it, and I watched that opening sequence of the national anthem and, and cried. I mean, I, I, I cried 17 years later because I remember being there and thinking how proud I was to be there and be a part of all of that. And as I went through the format, every single one of those bits that, that people did, they all came back to me. And I remember the individual reactions from the live audience that night. Our reactions is we watch that stuff play. And some of those were, were taking place as the show was going on that guys would go in and 
record something and they would take it to the truck and the truck would, would put it in. And we were adjusting times and adjusting the show as, as we went along that night. So it was, um, kind of a fly by the seat of our pants, but there wasn't a whole lot of pressure that, Oh, we've got to get this match on, or we've got to do this. We've got to hit this time. It, it was just, let's do the best we can with what we have. Why didn't you cut a, a video? I couldn't get through it. I tried. I couldn't get through it. Do you remember JBLs? A lot of people think he had the most memorable one. JBL had the best one of the evening and JBL brought the audience, uh, to their feet. It was the most emotional and probably the most, uh, the rally cry of fuck you and hell. Yeah. The fact that it was in Texas and it was straight from the heart. It was also one of those, when you put your, your wrestling cap on, of damn it, John would be a hell of a baby face. And that's the, you know, that was John Layfield. That wasn't JBL. You know, I do want to ask because there's lots of, um, interviews here that a lot of people remember, and we're going to talk about the one that everybody wants to shit on in just a minute. But when you guys are sort of recruiting, you know, who wants to do one, do you remember anything about that? It was Vince letting everyone know what the format of the show was. First of all, I asked if there was anyone that, that didn't want to work. Um, if you do want to work, let us know. Obviously we probably won't have room for everyone to work, but most importantly, let's start with, if there's anyone that doesn't want to work, just let Jr. know and no, no harm, no foul. We've, we've got plenty of guys to work with, and we only want people that, that want to be a part of this to be a part of it. And we understand, don't want to know your reasons. Um, it's personal and different to everyone. Then he let everyone know that you have an opportunity to say something. Uh, we'll, we'll use what we can for what we have time for. And if you, if you don't want to say anything, that's fine too. So that, that was the gist of the message that the talent got. You know, Jr. put a comment out on WWF.com, uh, where he said talent crew were given the option of not working. If they chose not to, no one exercised that option, even though many probably had reservations about performing their functions. And Wade Keller would say that he talked to at least three wrestlers who said they were not made aware of any such option, but he did say he talked to one other wrestler with direct connections to New York, who says he was pulled aside by management and given that option. But other guys were like, I would have driven home Tuesday. If I'd have been given that option, I don't know what Ross was talking about, but I didn't feel like working that week or being away from home. Perhaps we had the option to leave if we went out of our way to ask, but nobody's going to do that for fear of consequences. What's the real that, story that's, on that? That's just complete rubbish and, and bullshit. And again, I, I can't, I can't speak for everyone and, and what their exact message was given to them. I know Jr. from talent relations standpoint was given the exact directive of what Jim said. And I believe that Jim let everyone know and Vince reiterated letting everyone know beforehand that this is it's mandatory. I mean, how could you, I mean, to, to, to be 
simple-minded to even print something like that or say something like that in in the wake of everything that was going on around you. That just, it's not even, it's complete fantasy. It's just not so. Let's talk a little bit about um, what else is going on in the world because Major League Baseball's canceled their games. Of course, the NFL canceled their games that weekend. The New York Stock Exchange was closed until the 17th. The Emmy Awards were rescheduled. I mean, it is, the WWE does really stand out here in doing something when nobody else is. Did you guys realize or, or think at the time that you were doing something monumental or did this just feel like the right thing to do or sort of chat me up on the mood? And was there a sense of pride of still doing the show? Huge sense of pride. And we felt that it was the right thing to do. The president had come out and said, the sooner that we can get back to our normal lives, the better. And it will show the terrorists that you cannot deter us and you, you can't stop us. Um, we're going to mourn those that we lost, but we're going to move on with our life and we're going to continue to fight. And we are going to continue our lives as free Americans. We agreed with that message. And we wanted to be a part of it. So it was a, a huge uh, moment of pride, at least on my part, to think that we were a part of the first public assembly and, and the, a part of America getting on with their lives and, and being able to, to move forward. Um, it's a ballsy decision. And uh, probably a lot of people that would second guess it and think, oh, my. But how long do you mourn? What was the television network saying? They were behind us. I mean, they were, I think that they were looking for a let up because so much of what you saw on television was 24 seven coverage of tragedy and tales of, of this, of the horrible things. We, we were trying to give people a little bit of let up. Um, yeah, man, we had some messages in there and then the whole time, but it was, it was different. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all gloom and doom. No, it was not. And it starts out with this speech and this really feels like, I don't know, a precursor to Vince and his family's being interested in politics a little bit. I mean, he's positioning himself out front as a Patriot here with a big speech to open the show. And he's saying, you know, and by God, the citizens of the United States are not afraid and we're proud people, proud of who we are, proud of our nation, damn proud to be Americans. And we will fight and fight for our families and our rights and for our great nation. And he's saying things like, you know, America's heart's been wounded, but her spirit shines as a beacon of freedom that has never been, nor ever will be extinguished. I mean, it feels like a political speech who helped write the speech. Did Vince practice the speech? Uh, carry me through what you remember about that. That's all Vince. That's who Vince is. And that's how Vince thinks. Vince wrote it, uh, came from his heart, his words, his feelings. That's who he is. He that's how he feels. He didn't try to memorize it or practice it. Anyway, he just went out there and hit it. 
I'm sure that he, he probably wrote it down right. and had a pretty damn good idea of what he was going to say, but it came from his head and came from his heart and how he felt. Next up, we start with, uh, the Marilyn Manson song, beautiful people, which was the uh, theme for SmackDown at the time. And then we see most of the wrestlers walking out to the ring and they stand on the ramp here led by the rock. So it's the rock and Vince McMahon right up front. And then we see Howard Finkel introduce Lillian Garcia, who sings the national anthem, clearly a big moment in this crowd. Um, Lillian would say that she was crying in the ring after she sang that she got asked to do the national anthem and, and was like, how am I going to get through this? And she says she was told no music, nothing. McMahon wanted it just acapella. And she felt like this was bigger than her. And it was an obligation she had to do it. And when you listen to her sing, you can hear, I mean, she's emotional here. Her voice is cracking a little bit. What'd you think of, um, Lillian's rendition of the national anthem here? Probably one of the most beautiful renditions ever heard because of the feeling behind it and shit, I'm crying right now, but you go back and I watched it and that's all I could get through, but there wasn't a dry eye in the joint of people that were proud, proud of their country and proud, um, that they were exercising their freedom and their right. And they were happy to be there. And, and it was, it was a fuck you to the cowards that, that attacked us. So it was a, uh, extremely emotional rendition and, and a great job by Lily. And to me, I thought it was her most outstanding moment. And we get lots of different guys, you know, starting to do the sit down interviews here. We start with edge. Then we go to Ricky Santana. Ricky's a name we don't talk about here very much on the show. You got any good Ricky Santana stories? I don't know when we'll talk about him again. <laughs> oh gosh. Ricky, Ricky was, uh, came over with John Laurinaitis. He was one of the agents during that time. And, and Ricky, I knew from Puerto Rico, great guy, probably one of the unsung behind the scenes folks that worked very well with talent. And, and I, you know, I didn't really know him that well. I know Ricky and I always liked Ricky a whole lot, but, uh, didn't get to hang around him a whole lot other than in Japan with John Laurinaitis and Gerald Briscoe and in Puerto Rico a little bit. But, um, during that time he was an agent and I thought he did a decent job. Yeah. Nobody can argue that. You don't hear anybody say anything bad about Ricky Santana. Next up, we've got the Hardys beating Lance storm and hurricane Helms. And what I found interesting watching this back is this is very, very early hurricane. Um, when he goes to the top rope, he puts the Cape on and then jumps off with the Cape and then takes the Cape off, but he's not even wearing a mask here. He's just painting it on. Um, and interestingly enough, when he does his sit down, he's got braces on and this week, I didn't even know. I was like, wait a minute. Did hurricane have a grill? I don't remember hurricane having a grill. So I sent him a text and I don't even think hurricane knew what a grill was. He's like, they were braces. What the hell are you talking about? So, exactly. but it, it is sort of fun to see, cause I haven't watched this show in forever early hurricane with the painted on mask instead. And when I asked hurricane about it, he says the original idea was just like the lone ranger dollar 99 dollar store piece of shit thing. 
And Vince said, wear this. And he's like, dude, that's going to come off immediately. Like we got to make something I'm down to wear a mask, but it can't be this. So he just went with the face paint until he had the mask made. Uh, I'm sure we'll do a hurricane show sometime, but chat me up. What do you remember about early hurricane? (laughs) Early hurricane is the product of stone cold, Steve Austin in the rock. We did some vignettes with Shane Helms in Chicago where we did them last minute. We did them live. Steve being Steve and rock being rock. Um, hurricane had the, the hurricane ring or not, whatever the green lantern ring on. And Steve's like, Oh damn kids. Nice ring. What is that? And he tells him and, and then rock who likes Shane and it, and it evolved before our very eyes. And I don't think Vince really even understood what the hell he had at the time in hurricane. And it was a gimmick that just grew and manifested itself and progressed over time and kept getting bigger and better and having more fun with it. And luckily, you know, for hurricane, Brian Gewertz was a big fan and liked writing for him and Shane was able to pull it off. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, what's next. We've got Terry Reynolds talking and then the rock and the rock is obviously, you know, one of the biggest stars in the entire company. And for him to sit down and share his thoughts is something I'm sure a lot of fans look forward to. Um, is there any hesitation with a guy like the rock? to go and do this because you got to be sort of careful with what you say, because you don't have all the information, but at the same time, um, you probably feel like you need to say something, but he's so well known for being so witty and sharp and crisp. If you're going to be real, it might not be as polished because you're just trying to come from the heart. Is there any concern with this guy should go, but not that guy? No, it was. It was a time for people to, to be themselves. And it was a time to let everyone know that it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And even your heroes, you know, are real. And it was a way to demonstrate that the rock was just like everybody else. And he had feelings and he was feeling the same pain you were and had the same emotions. So there, there really wasn't any protect the gimmick. Oh my God, this guy's gimmick that none of that. And the guys knew that and they spoke from the heart and didn't, didn't try to be something they weren't. Uh, mattress Mac is up next. And you said his real name earlier, but mattress Mac is who everybody really knows him as. And he is a bit of a WWE celebrity and certainly a Houston celebrity. And he's given a speech and I guess it was going long because you guys cut it. And I know that you said you had to sort of back time it and make all the time work. Why was Vince cool with putting mattress Mac on the show? Well, because he was a local Houston celebrity and he was someone that had a business, very successful business. And it spoke to everyone out there all across America that, that have their own businesses. And that was, was, he's the working man to me, epitomizes, uh, every working man in the nation. So he represented them. And I think that people could relate to Mac, no matter where you were here was a working man. And, and we explained who the, who he was, but he was also important to Houston. And he was so important in helping us make this event a reality in Houston. 
So not to have them all on would have been a disservice. Well, and if you're not using my bookie, it's a disservice too. And I've been telling people this for a couple of weeks. Trust me, they're your best bet this season. We're talking about my bookie because they've been in business for years. They've got great reviews online and their mobile site is easy to use. Not to mention they have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Plus for all you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player is going to score each game. So lay down some cash and win big today. It's this simple. You win, they pay. You got to check out my bookie. Tell them about it, Bruce. Well, here's the deal, man. Thanks to us. Okay. They've been slammed with new betters. And they want to give everybody the absolute best service possible. So if you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, here's what we're going to do. Okay. We're going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. That's right. We're going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100 when you deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time. So join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use our promo code WRESTLE when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. That's my bookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code WRESTLE when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. Roll title now. Next up, we got Rob Van Dam beating Spike Dudley. And then we see Chris Jericho talk. And he says he'd rather be in New York going through the rubble, trying to help out and encourages people to, uh, hug your loved ones a little harder. Give them an extra kiss, be a little nicer to a stranger on the street, because that's what we need. Then Michael Hayes is there and you know, it's weird to see Michael Hayes being serious because we've all seen the fun, silly Michael Hayes, but he was certainly serious here. And he says he can't wait to see those who are responsible and get it. Uh, then we see Sean Stasiak and Lita and eventually we see Chris Jericho beat Christian and before the match, Jericho cuts a promo, sort of mocking Christian's new entrance music. And eventually we get Canyon talking and he's talking about how he's got family that are New York city cops and they're a part of the rescue effort. And then we see Taz who's saying that you know, he's pretty scared because his family is in New York and he's worried about bomb scares there because his wife and young son are there, but he's here and doesn't know when he'll get to go home. Um, Tori Wilson's up next and she's giving a heartfelt condolence to everyone who lost someone. Then we see hurricane Helms with braces and then Bubba Ray Dudley says, there's an old saying, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And then we see the rock come to the ring and issue an open challenge to defend the WCW world title. And Stasiak comes out to try to accept the challenge and rock just throws him over the top and goes back to the mic reissues the open challenge. Stasiak comes in a second time. Rock throws him over the top a second time. Rock reissues the challenge. And again, Stasiak starts to charge, but now the rock asks him to stop. And he starts talking about something that everybody in Houston will like pie. 
And then he asks if Stasiak likes pie and he says, no, he hates pie. So we get the old, you don't like strudel, do you? And of course the rock offers Keebler some strudel, the people strudel. She's all about it. You know, what's coming rock beats Stasiak in five seconds offers to shake Stasiak's hand. Stasiak accepts rock goes in the rock bottom scoring a pin here and we're done. You guys just needed a comedy bit here to break it up, huh? Give them a little levity and just, you know, again, it wasn't a serious bit for the in-ring work. We weren't looking to further any angles or do anything else. And we just wanted to entertain people and, and give them a respite from everything else that was going on, not only around them, but also in this show with some of the heartfelt messages. When do you remember the first time strudel became a thing? Was strudel a thing backstage before it made it on camera? Is that a Brian yeah. thing? <laughs> that's a rock thing. That, that's something, uh, best of my knowledge. And if it is, if it is a Brian thing, you're getting an and email it isn't a rock right thing. Now. Oh yeah. I'm getting an email and a text. And, and then for once he'll actually answer my phone calls when I say what, but from my recollection, it was a rock thing. If you don't like pie, you must like strudel. I like pie. I mean, I've seen you eat strudel. I like pie. I'm not arguing that. I've taken you had uh, you had coconut cream pie here in Huntsville. Ooh, like coconut cream pie. Yeah. We did see Deborah talk, but that's been edited out of the network show. Any idea what that may be? No clue. No clue whatsoever. It is a little weird though. Um, we see Hugh Morris talk, also edited off the network. Um, he says he's got a brother back there right now. He's a fireman and they're finding guys alive. Then we see ivory talk and, um, ivory has a message for the kids, which I thought was pretty good. It stood out. I just want the children to know that there are far, far more good people in this country and in this world. than there are bad America is made up of people of all creeds and all religions and all different beliefs. And that's what makes our country so wonderful and so diverse and so free. As a country, we're going to embrace this tragedy. We will embrace it and remember it and its devastation and its cruelty. And what we will challenge all of us to become is a stronger, more connected human race. Ivory was off the chart. Great. She was great. And then man, Bradshaw hit a home run and we're probably not supposed to do it, but stay tuned to the end of the show. Um, we also see Kurt angle talk. And he pushed well, let, let's talk about Bradshaw. We talked we hit on a little bit. Sure. Brad Bradshaw, when when he finished in that arena, it was a standing ovation and USA chance that was one of the the best promos. And and as I said earlier, man, that was John Layfield, and that was the man speaking. And you think about it and go, damn, that he should be a baby face and cut promos like that all the time. This was something he believed, and this was something that he spoke from the heart. Uh, nothing written for him, nothing laid out for him. This was a, him talking to the American people and saying, this is how I feel, and all you cowards out there, fuck you. Great shit. It was. Nobody can argue that. Uh, if you'd like to hear it, hang in there. Uh, then we see Kurt Angle, and of course, he's one of the first guys I remember doing the uh, our thoughts and prayers go to the victims and their families. And it's interesting to hear him talk because he's really been presented as an American hero and as a gold medalist. So it makes sense that he's here. Uh, then we go to a commercial break and we come back 
they show a shot of the flags flying a half mass outside of the compact center. Whose idea was that? Do you remember? What to show the shot? Yeah. Just, I mean, it's a locator shot. I mean, it wasn't, uh, let's show this. It was just showing where we were, that we were live. And again, a reminder of what the hell was going on in America, but it was, it's no different than any other locator shot that they would normally show in this case it it just reiterated the tragedy we were in it's an exclamation point yeah uh next up we see lance storm talk and then devon dudley and uh then we finally get michael thornton who you mentioned um was obviously a well-respected american that you guys were recognizing in the front row and he's sort of complimenting Vince McMahon and the WWF for coming forward to be the first sports group to stand up and say, Hey, we aren't going to let this change our way of life and we've got to get on with living. And that's what the WWF is doing right now in Houston. Lita beat ivory with a moonsault. Uh, and then we see Stacy Keebler talk and she talks about how she's 21. And this is something people her age had really only read about in textbooks. Then Steve Austin talks and says he doesn't really have anything philosophical to say. And I think Steve comes across really, really well here because it doesn't feel, um, scripted or, I mean, there's no stone cold said, so he's not cutting a promo about kicking your ass and walking it dry. He's sort of stumbling over his words a little bit because nobody has the real words of what to say here, but the character stone cold, Steve Austin, you know, always knew exactly what to say, but here. You could see he just, he's like all of us, man, trying to figure it out. And we, and we all were the best part about it was, was, as you said, that wasn't stone cold. That was just Steve Austin talking, talking as a man from the heart is exactly how he felt. Booker T's up next. He gives us condolences to everybody who was on the flights and the firemen and the policemen and you know, all the real heroes, but then we get to the thing that people really like to focus on as the only negative spot here. You probably know where I'm going to go here. Bruce Stephanie McMahon talked about the tragedy. Did you see it live beforehand? When did you hear that people may have had some blowback about this? Uh, I watched it live when it took place that night. I mean, that that's the first time that I saw it. I didn't see, I didn't see any of the comments until they actually aired. And what did you think of hers? You know, it was what it was. It's how she felt. That is what was going through. And you can't judge someone on how they either talk about tragedy or sorrow or anything like that. Everybody has their own personal way of, of mourning and grieving and comparing it to what have you. I will never look at 9-11 without correlating it to my own personal situation with my wife and MD Anderson and her cancer. And that being the day that someone gave me hope. So in the midst of all this tragedy, I was delivered a a message of hope. And and that's how I correlate nine 11. And that's how I correlate that day. I think that Stephanie, you know, correlated it, how she correlated and she gave an honest, you know, an honest feeling. That's how she felt. She said a few years ago, some people tried to 
destroy my family. They attack my father's reputation. They attack my mother's reputation and they attack the world wrestling federation. They tried to rip us apart, but all they did was make my family stronger. And that's exactly how America feels right now. Because on Tuesday, America was attacked, but America is a United nation and together we stand strong. I'm incredibly proud to be an American citizen and I will stand up for my rights and my freedom. And I don't see anything wrong with that at all. I don't, I don't know why people would want to attack that because she correlates it to how her family was attacked and, and they were, and it, it's come on, Bruce. It's, no, fuck you. That's how it is. I mean, she's relate. She's relating her personal experience. You can't judge her personal experience till you've walked in their shoes and been attacked the way that they were. That's how she felt. So she was given the same yeah. opportunity to say how she felt to everybody else. And, and to make light of it, if you've ever had your family drugged through what they were drugged through, I would not compare maybe it. Maybe you'd would feel not, the same way. I would not compare it to 3000 people being mass murdered. You don't know that. No, I do know that, that no, I would you, think that you don't a, know that because you, you haven't experienced it. And that's unfair to, to judge on that. And, and again, it's unfair to judge someone who's put in front of a camera and say, tell us how you feel and to have the balls to go out and do that no matter what they say. All righty. Uh, test and the Dudleys beat William Regal and Tajiri and Scotty too hottie. Uh, then we see Lillian Garcia talk. And, um, she lived in New York yeah. city and she says that she's got a lot of friends who also live in New York city and loved ones. And they were supposed to be at a meeting at the building, but they didn't make it. And we've heard a lot of those stories outside of wrestling where someone was supposed to be at the twin towers, but then for whatever reason is not. Do you know of any other stories like Lillian's where she knew someone who was supposed to be there and didn't make well, it? You know, I, I have, and I've read them all, you know, I'm, I'm a dateline 2020 fanatic. So I do recall a lot of those stories, but when you look at Lillian Garcia and everything that she went through that week and she chose, she's one of those that chose to stay. Her family, like she said, she lived in New York City. That's where all her friends and family are. And she, there was still, by the time you got to this airing, people didn't know whether people were alive or dead. They were still finding people alive. There, there was still these miracles, uh, stories that were happening. And people still had friends and, and loved ones that were unaccounted for. So for her to stay there in Houston and her to go out and perform the way that she did, man, hats off to Lillian. I thought that she was, um, she performed above and beyond and she was really feeling it. She was wearing her heart on her sleeve and that was, that was a tough thing for her to do. I, I know that much. Let's talk about, um, the next one, because we've got someone that I had sort of forgotten, even did one of these sit downs, Ron Simmons. And I think most everybody listening to this appreciates Ron Simmons and has a lot of respect for him. He says something on here. I think it's time that we show these cowards that we mean business, man. The APA had a home run this night with these promos. Did they not? 
they sure as hell did. And it was, you know, you're talking about two stand-up guys and, and John Layfield and Ron Simmons that are not going to back down from a fight, you know, prefer, you know, personally, professionally, or, or any way, shape, or form that love their country. And this was their opportunity to let everybody know how much. Next up, we've got William Regal and then Albert talking. And then our final bit on the show is Kurt Angle beating Rhino in about six minutes. And after the match, of course, Angle is leading the crowd in chance of USA to close the show. I mean, he had to be the show closer, right? You know, he did. He, he was, it was either him or rock. And with rock, we wanted to kind of have the levity in the middle of the, of the night. Uh, but we felt that Kurt would be the, Kurt would be the right guy. Uh, he was America. He was USA gold medal winner and he was a hero. So it was, uh, in my opinion, I thought it was the right way to end the show. No doubt about it. I guess we should mention that Kurt would go on to defeat Steve Austin a few weeks later at Unforgiven in his hometown of Pittsburgh to win the world title. And Kurt had said that Austin was originally supposed to go over, but because of what happened with September 11th, uh, they felt like it was the right thing for him to do for him to win. And Kurt actually takes credit for pitching Vince on that idea. And Vince agreed with him. Angle lost it a few weeks later on raw. What do you remember about that title change? Well, originally Steve was slated to go over, but we felt with it being Pittsburgh and being the mood of the country that having an Olympic gold medalist, an American Olympic gold medalist win in his hometown was a feel good moment. Gave everybody kind of a little bit of a respite and something to believe in. So it was, it was something that was discussed, um, with Kurt <laughs> and with Vince, uh, before Kurt ever got to Vince, but Hey, you know, yeah, Kurt was on board with it and everybody was as well. It wasn't a whole lot of talking into the episode winds up getting a, um, 3.6 rating when the show's over. How'd you guys feel about it? I think that everybody felt good in that it was over, but still there was just that, that uneasy feeling. And for those of us, well, for everybody, man, just, just going home and getting back to the Northeast and, and dreading you, you've seen the pictures and you're watching the news every night and you, you see that smoldering scene of the Manhattan skyline where the twin towers used to be. And it's, it's like watching independence day. It's like you're watching a movie every day on TV. Then the dread, <laughs> the real dread of, of getting on a plane flying home and looking at that skyline yourself in, in real life. Um, it was dread, but it was relief all at the same time. Well, I'm relieved that we finally got to do this topic and that we're making it to the end here. You know, there are a couple of things I do want to ask before we get to fan questions. Then I want to give everybody a heads up that we've got the next several shows mapped out and I'm going to run through that for you. Uh, but first I do want to ask, you know, it's a silly thing, but the twin towers back in the day, big boss, man, Akeem clearly named after world trade center, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. The 1991 angle to turn Sergeant slaughter heel. It's years before we get Muhammad Hassan. 
Is anybody even remotely suggesting something like that here? During this time? No. I mean, obviously it's way, way different because we've been attacked and it's a totally different thing, but it feels like somebody in the back somewhere might've said, Hey, what if? No, no, it was, it was way too soon. Sure. When do you remember that being brought up though? Because I'm sure as you said, it was inevitable. We did get Muhammad Hassan. Not until Muhammad Hassan came up. And that was during the time when we had a kid that, you know, fit that role and it was brought up as what if, and, and it happened, but not until then there was, there was no one considered that angle. Um, you know, even Hassan was too soon. Right. Let's do some questions about this particular episode, but before we do, I want to tell everybody next week. We're covering Unforgiven 2008. Uh, I don't think we've done very many topics from 2008, which was your sort of swan song in the WWE. And this is getting almost to the nitty gritty. Of course, uh, you got kicked out on your ass in November of 08. This is September. December, December 1st, Conrad. Oh, I thought it was official. Survivor Series is when you got sent Well, the, the fuck Survivor home. Series is when I went there, but they didn't. I didn't officially get fired until December 1st. So it's oh, December. I got you. Okay. They threw yeah. you out of the building in November, but you got the notice on the first. So here's what we're going to cover. Uh, unforgiven 2008, Matt Hardy, uh, going in a ECW championship scramble with Chavo Guerrero, Finley, Mark Henry, and the Miz. Then we've got a tag team match for the world tag team titles with crime time taking on Ted DiBiase jr. And Cody Rhodes. Then we've got an unsanctioned match that people still talk about Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho, then a championship scramble for the WWE title with Shelton Benjamin, MVP, Jeff Hardy, Brian Kendrick, and triple H a singles match for the divas title with Maurice and Michelle McCool. And then a championship scramble for the world heavyweight title with Rey Mysterio, JBL, Kane, Batista, and Chris Jericho. This should be a fun show. And I've got to tell you, I've never seen it. Well, and, and plus my last pay-per-view and this may be the first 2008 subject matter that we've covered yet on this show. I'm looking forward to it. So that's, what's coming your way next weekend. So, uh, September 21st, put your calendars down unforgiven. Oh, wait. And Bruce, I'm going to run through the rest. You ready? I'm ready. On the 28th, we're doing Breakdown, which is In Your House from 1998. On October 4th, we're doing Carlito. On October 11th, Rikishi. On October 18th, Judgment Day, In Your House, 1998. And boy, this will get people talking. October 25th, we're going to cover when Hunter married Stephanie. That's their actual wedding date. So we're going to talk about the on-screen and the real life relationship all the way through the wedding. So that should be something that'll get people talking. November 2nd, we're going to combine a couple of shows into one. We're going to talk about the hardcore championship and Daniel pewter. Uh, I don't know that we could really get a full show out of either one. So we're going to squish them together, do something a little different for you on November 2nd on November 9th, we're covering William Regal, which should be fun. We've had lots of requests for him. November 16th, we're bringing you survivor series, 1998, arguably one of the greatest stories ever told, uh, November 23rd, which is actually going to be the 22nd because it's our Thanksgiving day tradition. 
We're going to do a watch along with Survivor Series 1988. Of course, last year on Thanksgiving, we did 87. We're bringing it back here for 88 Thanksgiving night. A week later on November 30th, we're covering Christian. On December 7th, we're doing In Your House Degeneration X from 1997. On December 14th, we're covering Rock Bottom, which is the In Your House from 1998. On the December 21st episode, we're going to do the December 22nd, 1997 Raw. This is the famous one where Stone Cold Steve Austin would stun Santa Claus. Who would do such a thing? On November, on December 28th, we've got the episode of Raw where Mankind wins the WWF title. We've covered that match as a standalone on Patreon, but we're going to do the whole show and everything that's going on around the company. Of course, famously, that wouldn't air until after the first of the year. And that's when we got Tony Schiavone's butts in the seats line. And then we're going to start the new year, 2019 on January 4th with a Saturday night's main event. Watch along from January 2nd, 1988 with Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy. Now that should be fun. Can't wait. Can't wait. So there you go. There is your upcoming something to wrestle calendar. And of course we've got lots of extra bonus content over at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Bruce, let's get to some questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, John wants to know, is there any rhyme or reason as to the order of the personnel lined up during the national anthem? It seems kind of odd that big evil taker. wasn't at the front standing with rock and Vince. No, it was just as guys came out and they stood where they wanted to stand. Eric wants to know, was there any effort to tone down the show as far as violence or outlandish angles? Yeah, there, there, it was not, not that type of a show. And these were match for match sakes. And it was trying to let people up and have a good time. Mark wants to know, did Vince consider anyone else other than Lillian to sing the national anthem? No. And we felt that, you know, Lillian, first of all, has beautiful voice and her renditions of the national anthem are some of the best out there ever. So she was the logical choice and it was heartfelt. Um, Herrera wants to know, did any talent say anything that wasn't fit for error during those tributes, either because they were insensitive or because they were just overcome with emotion? Uh, obviously not any that aired. And I, like I said, I didn't see them until they aired and I don't remember anybody coming to me and questioning what somebody said. Clint wants to know, what did you personally do the night of September 11th to keep your mind off what was happening as best you could? Uh, I had dinner with friends at Papacito's in Houston. Matthew wants to know who surprised Bruce by being surprisingly patriotic backstage. You know, I think that going back Bradshaw by far was the best heartfelt speech. And I thought that Chris Jericho also made people kind of think, and Chris being Canadian, he's got dual citizenship. Um, but I thought Chris's was also surprising. Kale wants to know, did you ever hear about anyone on the roster who was supposed to be on one of those planes that day? Nope. Aaron wants to know, did Vince purposely dress down for the event? He's usually in a suit and tie. Was he trying to be relatable here? (laughs) No, that's what we wore back in those days. That was during Vince's not wearing suits times it was more of a casual deal that we did and and i think all of us were wearing hawaiian shirts in that that run john alba wants to know i was only a few blocks from the world trade center on 9 11 and had plans to visit wwf new york that night was there ever any discussion of holding any events or fundraisers at the restaurant after the attacks to show a presence in new york like many other sports teams did 
Well, we did. We were, as a matter of fact, we were one of the first um, area restaurants and establishments that fed and you know opened up for those first responders and for people to come in and, and get water and food. And we fed all the first responders for several days for free and supplied all the supplies that we possibly could to all the first responders in New York. But a lot of a lot of the establishments in New York did, and we did that as well. Chris wants to know, why didn't you keep Kurt Angle a baby face longer after this? It feels like he would have been the perfect face for the company in a post 9-11 America. Any, any was, but at the same time, we had to get back to storyline where we were going and we felt that was best for storyline. Earl wants to know what's the one thing you'll never forget about that night. Um, Bradshaw's promo and the national anthem are the, those are two things you asked for one, but those are the two big ones. Kyle wants to know what current or planned angles changed because of nine 11. The only thing that changed was dropping the belt to Kurt for a few weeks in Pittsburgh. And then we got back on track shortly after that. Aaron wants to know, did any former stars call to try to be on the show? We got lots of various questions like that. One of which was or actually several people asked, did you guys try to reach out to Hulk Hogan to come in for this? No, we didn't. And no, they didn't. The problem would have been getting them there, getting them there. Uh, they would have had to drive from wherever they were, but also if this wasn't, if, for example, if we'd been in Tampa and Hulk had been there and had reached out, we probably would have put him on there, but this wasn't a situation for PR and this wasn't a situation to go, oh, Hey, look what we have. It, this is an interesting question. Uh, Dick wants to know, by all reports, Vince lives in a bit of a wrestling bubble, 24, seven, 365 WWE. Would it come up with Vince in long car rides to talk about this or politics or anything different after nine 11? Uh, from time to time. Yeah. In, in private moments, uh, we, we talked about politics and I think I've, I've told the story here on this show about. Vince expressing his political view with me being one of how his father came up and his father was affiliated with one party and he would always give money to the party that, that he was mainly affiliated with, but he also made sure to take care of the other party as well so that he had both sides covered. And, um, Vince felt that, you know, you always need to make sure that, that all of your, all your sides are covered. And it's important to have friends on both sides of the aisle. And it's important to make sure your testosterone is where it needs to be. So if you're looking to boost your total testosterone, you need ageless male max. They've got a patent pending formula with an ingredient that helps you do just that. We're talking about promoting greater increases in both muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage when compared to exercise alone, take your manhood to the max by trying your first 30 day bottle free just pay your shipping and handling you're not getting 10 days not 15 days a full 30 day supply free all you've got to do is text the word slam that's s-l-a-m to 797979 finally a formula that boosts your total testosterone now if your results with ageless male max are too intense please decrease the use but that free bottle again just text slam s-l-a-m to 797979 that's s-l-a-m to 79, 79, 79. And of course, message and data rates may apply. 
Bruce, I'm fired up. San Antonio this weekend. Me, you, Dave Silva. Do we want to give a hint as to who the guest is, or is there still some worry on your end that maybe old Hurricane, whatever her name is, ain't going to let it happen? You know what? I'm just thinking positive, and I'm saying what's going to happen is meant to happen, by golly. And we're going to have a whole lot of fun, no matter who the hell shows up. And I, I've, this is a little bit of, I don't even think I've talked to you about this. Sill is going to be our host for the evening. What? Yeah, it's his, it's his people, and it may be a bilingual crowd. So I'm going to have Silva there so that he can welcome everyone appropriately there. And uh, I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you've also checked us out on Patreon. We've got uh, Bruce and I breaking down the final four match from In Your House, February 1997 and Unforgiven 2006, the crazy hell in a cell with the McMahons and DX and Big Show's ass and Wow, it was something else. Don't miss it. It's something to wrestle on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. And uh, you can go ask us questions for next week's show, which is easy to do. Just follow us at Pritchard Show or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. And you can ask your Unforgiven 2008 questions right there. Stay tuned. We've got something else coming up, and we'll see you this weekend in San Antonio, Texas at the Aztec Theater. Hook it up right now at BrucePritchard.com. You know, I have heard and I have seen of towerly acts that have happened before. The extermination of the Jews by some maniac in Germany. The bombing of a federal building in Oklahoma City by some maniac. And now some maniac has attacked America, attacked innocent men, women, and children, husbands, fathers, parents, all because of some religious belief or some other motive that he has. These people had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with you. We're running this show tonight because we're gonna show you that you cannot break, you cannot even bend the fiber, the backbone of the United States of America. There's gonna be some critics. There's gonna be some critics that wonder why we run this show. I wanna make this perfectly clear, go to hell. We're doing this show because we love America. This is all we have to give you for tonight is, is, is this evening. If I had to, I'd give my life readily for this country. I have relatives who have done that, who are buried overseas, who are buried in many different places. I would do the same thing because I love this great country. George W. was one of the greatest governors of the state of Texas. It's time he has become, it's time he will become a great president. You guys who are out there, we're gonna find your ass. We're gonna make whatever country's hiding you into a stinking parking lot. God bless this country. God bless this great state I live in and God rest the sorry son of a bitch that did this we were fine John brings his skewed sense of humor Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.